You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. All right. All right, all right, all right. Feel free to grab your seat. If I have not met you, my name is Dan. I have the privilege to serve one of the, as one of the pastors and elders uh, here at the village. Um, if you, I'm, I'm assuming if you're here, you know that we're not in our regular meeting location at the Village Church building in Hamden. We've been very blessed. Um, it might sound crazy to say we're blessed with plumbing issues. That's not the blessing, but the blessing is to be able to be in a place like this and to be uh, received warmly by Medfield Heights and to use this place. So we're thankful. Um, we encourage you sign up for the email announcements list for a lot of reasons, but one, just to know where we're meeting. Um, God willing, we will be back in our building soon, but at least for next week, we're still going to be here um, as we're waiting on some different decisions with the building and the plumbing. So we're here. We're really glad you're here. If you are here for the first time, uh, if it feels a little chaotic, it might be because we're meeting in a place we don't usually meet, but we're really glad you're here. We always talk about the idea of the church being the people. That wherever we meet, the church is still there because it's the people of God. So we're here in another location, but the village church is still here. So if you're new, we're glad that you could be with us today. Um, just to let you in a little, pull the, pull the curtain back a little bit. We plan our sermon schedule out pretty far, at least six months, ideally, uh, even up to a year. Um, so we usually try not to change things up once we have things in the calendar But this week, uh, especially the past few days, is one of those weeks where Pastor Larry was scheduled to preach today, and he's still going to preach next Sunday. So come come back, because he's an amazing preacher. But I told him, hey, you know, I feel the Lord is speaking some things to me pretty heavy. I don't want to get weird about it, but I felt he was impressing some things upon me to share today. So we made a little switcheroo. so I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach today about some things I feel God has been moving in my heart that I feel He's asking me to share with our church. And, and we're gonna look into the book of Ephesians in a second, but, um, as we look into this fourth chapter of Ephesians, the first ten verses of Ephesians four, it talks about the unity of the church. I would encourage you, go read it. It's all open source, Bible, great book. Go read it on your own. We're not gonna look at it here, but it talks about the unity of the church in all these powerful ways. But one thing we see about unity, Maintaining unity, it doesn't mean we don't exercise diversity. Unity doesn't mean some folks, they're going to press on this hard. They're going to say, yo, if the church is unified, it means that we're all the same. We lose who we are. We, we very much believe that's not what the Bible says. If anything, when we're unified, it celebrates all of who we are coming together. And I would actually say that the unity of the church is directly connected to the expression of our diversity. And at our church, we often talk about diversity in ways of like our ethnicity, um, our class, where we're born, where we, where we come from, things like that, which I think are real and good. But, but today, I want to go a little beyond that. And as we talk about diversity, we also recognize diversity is also um, even some of the ways we're wired, some of the ways we're gifted. Some of the ways we're experienced, some of the ways that we would function differently, even though we might even look the same. You know, John Calvin, famous uh, pastor theologian, he said, out of this variety arises unity in the church, just as the various tones in music produce sweet melody. What he's saying is, out of all the different uh, expressions of diversity, that's where you get this rich unity. 
He's saying it's like all the different musical tones coming together to make this beautiful thing called song. It's like when I, I look at my kids and they've advanced so much in piano, but I remember when they first started, it's like, da, 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 like one finger, like, and that finger's going hard, right? It's one finger, right? And playing the song. Our goal is one day they'd be able, and well, they are already doing it, but one day they're like Meredith using all of those fingers together. It's this amazing thing where each finger's got like a different thing, but it comes together to make this one beautiful unified thing called a song. That, that's what we're talking about here. So why is this important? Um, I think one thing I'm wrestling with a lot is that I think Christianity in the church, especially, at least here in America maybe, um, or maybe the way that a lot of us have grown accustomed to it, it it's, it's, it's really easy for it to become a spectator sport. It's really easy for Christianity to kind of become this thing we kind of watch from afar. Um, and, and, you know, we're not haters of any church unless they're a cult. Um, but people have called us a cult, so I'm kind of sensitive about that too. But this is not hating, but... We, we try to resist certain language intentionally. Um, sometimes where you go to a church, and, and I totally get the feeling why. But it's like, the, you'll hear things like, now sit back and relax. Sit back and enjoy. We hope you get a lot out, and we want you to. Um, we're kind of good because we got hard benches in our church building, and here we got these plastic chairs, so there's no real getting comfortable. So that's kind of thrown out the window. Um, but I, I think it feeds into this idea that the church ultimately, like the greatest expression of it, is for us to put on this majestic show and do our best with it. And we should do our best, but we want to welcome people in. And you receive, you take, you get these things. And it's almost like shopping amongst different ideas. I honestly, that's why I don't think us meeting here like we have to is the worst thing in the world. Because it's not a bad thing for us to have to come here and our media team having to lug over equipment every week and wondering, oh man, I thought this was like two weeks. We're still doing this. Okay. And our team setting up chairs and bringing things and having to be kind of an environment and having these plastic chairs. I know for some of you, if you're getting a little like me, it's your back's like, okay, I got 30 minutes here, preacher. Come on. It's like, it's not comfortable. But that's not the worst thing for our soul. Because guys, and I know many of you, you already lived this. That's why you're here. If you were looking for somebody else, you probably wouldn't be here. You would have been here two weeks. But guys, this is not meant to be a show. We are not to be entertained. That's not, I mean, hopefully there's some laughs. Maybe even a guffaw every so often. Like a real good story, like a guffaw. But that's not the primary reason we're here. You and I, we're called to be active participants in this thing call the church. So what's that look like? Uh, we're going to look at it again, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And we see Paul describes the church. And let me read starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." 
Man, Paul, that's like two sentences there. Some of you English teachers in the room, like you're cringing as you're like, okay, that's like run on after run on after run on. It's two sentences. It's a lot of deep stuff. We're not going to dig into every aspect of this, but notice at the beginning there, the giving of these gifts. As Paul describes some of these gifts that have been given, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And some people, they look at this and say, this is like the five main categories of like top church leadership here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why does he give this? Verse 12 tells us to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Why has, why has God put these certain roles in the church? To build up, to raise up. The church, the saints, and you might not feel like a saint. You might feel like a sinner, but you're a saint if you're in Christ to do the works of the ministry. And guys, this is crucial for us, both for me as your pastor, but also for you as, as our church. This is critical for us to understand. Again, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Therefore, we can conclude that Paul wants pastors like me to prepare you here, the church, for the works of the ministry. And, and the reason why this is so important, I think too often, um, there's too much of a distinction between like the clergy. I know, I know I ain't wearing no like robe and a little thing, but I'm clergy and the laity, the, the non-clergy. There's sometimes too much of a distinction. You know, if, if we think about it another way, it's almost like we've got different classes of Christians. There's like the real hardcore Christians, the leaders, teachers, uh, evangelists, apostles. And then there's the rest of us who take up space. But, but what Paul does here, he blurs these lines. He doesn't say there's this like true distinction. There's different roles, but for the purpose of God's glory in his church. Because I, I want you to hear clearly, I'm not ragging on pastors like some might be inclined to do. I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that says, you know what? All this like professional ministry, God never intended that. I, I don't know if that's the case. But, but I think I do know what a pastor is not supposed to be. Um, a pastor is not supposed to be a line item within the budget that says pastor and get certain pay, paid a certain amount of money to go do the ministry. And, and then the church kind of watches and claps and say, go, 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 good job, do the ministry. That's not what the pastor is. Or the pastor is not um, hired by the church to kind of just take care of the church. That's part of it. But that's not all of it. It's to equip you. It's to build you up. It's to ground you. It's to nourish you to do the ministry. So Paul, he uses like nautical language here. Those of you who like sailing will love this, right? He uses nautical language then to talk about the warnings of being tossed back and forth by the waves and by winds of different kinds of doctrines, different kinds of thoughts. He's warning against that. And he's describing the person who goes back and forth based on what they hear, based on what smart person on on this or that says and kind of talks like Jesus, but it's kind of not. Maybe there's a little spirituality and goes back and forth. He's warning against that. He's saying we need to grow in maturity to be able to discern that. We need to be able to grow. So part of it is we need to build you up so that when you're not in this place, you're able to, when you hear things, you're able to say, is that truly what God says? 
Or is that kind of like a hint of spirituality, but not really? I mean, this weekend, um, my wife and I, we, we going through a little dilemma because our, our little one, but she's not so little anymore, our firstborn, she went off on her first overnight school trip. Two nights! <laughs> Crazy, right? Two night overnight. And, and here's the thing. We're expecting like a phone call the first day, maybe kind of not wanting to really, but like, oh, mommy, daddy, we miss, I miss you so much. And I'm so scared and really need you. And, and, and we were ready. Like, no, you can do this. You're all right. You can, you, we, no call. <laughs> no call Friday. <laughs> no call yesterday. <laughs> and I'm assuming nothing's bad happened because I think we'd hear about that. But as we were talking last night, there's like kind of a sadness, but kind of a, oh, she's, she's doing kind of what we prepared her to do. She's growing up. And it's kind of sad for a parent, but at the same time, you're like, okay, she's getting kind of capable. I guess she didn't lose all her clothes. <laughs> and, and that's part of my heart as I think about you. Because it's really easy for us to control this hour and a half or so we have together and put on the airs of spirituality and do our Jesus stuff and look all. But man, honestly, when I'm preaching, I'm not thinking about this like hour here. I'm thinking about like the 167 throughout the rest of the week that you're living out there and you don't maybe have the church walking right by you and telling you this is what you're supposed to think. This is what you're supposed to believe. This is how you do when you come. We're trying to prepare you here so that when you are there, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why I studied my Bible. This is why I learned. This is how I got nourished. I have the living spirit walking with me. I can do this. I can do this. And we see as Paul continues... The last few verses, actually, Paul writes, rather, speaking the truth in love. He's talking about preaching the gospel. He's talking about teaching the word. We are to grow up in every way. He means becoming mature believers. And he says, into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, he means the whole church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. This is all the saints that are mentioned back in verse 11. This part, especially when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me read that last part particular. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What he's saying is when we are who we are supposed to be, we're fulfilling this thing called the Great Commission. We're going forth. We're helping more people to know who Jesus is. We're teaching, baptizing, leading people to a a new life in Christ. If, If we're doing correctly what we're supposed to be doing, that's what we're building ourselves up towards. To fulfill that great commission. And Paul, very clear, guys. He reminds us from whom the growth comes. It's Christ. And we preach Christ wholeheartedly here. If you get sick of any name, I hope you don't get sick of it, but it will be the name Jesus. We want him to be the primary name. It's Christ. But this is really important, guys. We got to, let's not like over-theologize, say, oh, it's all Jesus. No, what it says here is it's all coming from Christ. But notice, while the building comes from him, it's the body itself that is the immediate active cause of the growth. Though the source is Christ, What it says here is that the building up is from the body. We build one another up. This means that the whole body and in each of us with our own respective roles within that body, we cause the growth of that body. We build one another up. 
and I, again, I want to make clear in case some of you want to fire me saying, oh, you gave me great biblical justification today. Why we don't need you. That's what I'm not saying. I want to be clear. I'm not saying there's not a need for special designations such as pastors maybe or, um, or to go to seminary and get trained. I think that's really good. Um, I, I don't think this is promoting like an organizational anarchy. Like, we don't need no stinking leaders. All of us are leaders. No, I don't think that's what it's saying. We have things like elders, leaders. That's good. God has designed so there will be structure within the church. I think there's good. But here's what I am saying. That, that I and the others at the village who've been called into leadership to lead you, um, we want to equip you for ministry, not just do things to keep your lips on that bottle. Not to be... Our goal is not to set up something where we're like basically having to keep your lips on the bottle of feeding from God because you don't ever learn how to feed yourself. We come here, we equip you hopefully. Hopefully we teach. Hopefully we pray. Hopefully we walk with you. Hopefully we disciple you. But so that you can be like that spiritual kid going off on the overnight. You start, you start to be able to do this. You start to be able to learn how to walk. And, and it doesn't mean you don't need the church. You still come regularly. We worship together. You receive the word. You do all these things. But just to remind yourself, I've been given the spirit of God. I need to continue to grow. And we build upon that. We grow and we mature by growing in maturity together. We got to do this together. A couple of just brief thoughts on maturity. Um, I mean, I think if we look here, I think there's a pretty clear call for growth in knowledge. So I, I think here there's, there's an a, a emphasis on deeper understanding of things like doctrine. It talks very clearly about knowing doctrine. It talks clear. You got to know what you believe so that you don't go back and forth. Um, I will always advocate for that. I will always fight. I mean, we, we talked about that last week, right? I, we talked about the importance of the word. If anything, I think most of us could probably benefit from even a deeper study of the word. Even a deeper appreciation of the, the theology and doctrine that comes from the flowing of knowing the word. I think we probably need more of that. But, but I think we need to also be clear what maturity is not. Because um, I think there's sometimes in an age where there's so much learning available. I mean, heck, you don't have to go to seminary anymore to be able to glean from like years and years of wisdom. You can just hit Google, right? And you can find like theology, doctrinal texts, classic church fathers. You can learn. And, and here's the thing. I've met people and you're, they're usually the ones who send me hate mail about how, how like shallow my sermons are. I've met people who know like 10 times more than I do. And it's like funny because they like in college, right? But they know like 10 times more than I do. But it's just all head knowledge. I'll ask, so where are you exercising this out at? Where are you serving people? Oh, no, I'm in school right now. I study these things. Oh, okay. That's how we're going, huh? Because, again, I'm not saying we should not learn. I think that's a great thing. But maturity is not knowledge alone. Maturity is not information alone. Christian maturity in the church is always a call to active obedience. Christian maturity as found in the church is always an invitation to living out, to actively obey and and practice these things. 
I think a great example of why Jesus impressed this upon his followers. Look at Luke 15. Luke 15, one of Jesus' teachings, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So if you want to put in our modern cadence, it's like, Yo, all, all, the, all the people who hang down at the corner, who hang down on the block, who hang out outside the farm store on, 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 30, on the avenue, they're all flo- drawing. And, and this is kind of messy. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is kind of sly. You got to think about who he's addressing here. He's not talking to everyone. He's not giving an evangelistic sermon. He's talking to the people who are hating on him. He's talking to these um, scribes and Pharisees, basically the educated religious men of his time. He's talking to them because he knows they're hating on him. He knows they're condemning him. He's like, okay, here's a little story from you. And he goes into this whole thing about the sheep. And we're not going to dig into every nuance of this. But the greater idea is he's talking to these people who think they're so mature. You and I would probably think they're mature because they can answer every Bible study question. They're that one person in a small group that you really don't like because every question goes on. They know like all the Greek and Hebrew and like Latin and they dig into all. And you're like, okay, I just said Jesus, God is good. You know, like he's talking to them. He's saying, here's a little story for you, okay? You know what God rejoices over? Because you all ain't got no rejoicing here. You're condemning me. You're so miserable about what you think you know and what you think I don't know that you can't even have joy. Here's what's joy when someone who is far from God comes to know God. And you all so religious and educated, you can't even see that. Here's what I, I, I want to kind of have on our hearts here. My concern for us, and I'm starting with me first. I don't ever say anything to anyone else that's not looking at my own heart. My concern is that if we're not intentionally mindful, I think we can lose sight of who we were meant to be, church. It takes intentionality. Um, If we're not careful, we can start to gauge what spiritual maturity somehow looks like. I think if we're not mindful, and hear me, I'm not saying this is us right now, but I think we've got to be careful. If we're not mindful, I think our idea of maturity can easily be just the people Jesus was calling out. If we're not careful, the the idea of what mature looks like, it could actually be the people Jesus is condemning here. People who know a lot. People who've read everything. People who know all the answers. But we can lose sight of what maturity is. If it's just knowing a lot, but not expressing itself outward in beliefs. And for me, this has been a thought that I guess I've just been kind of sitting on. That if we're not intentional, this all can just become a glorified Sunday Bible study. Or it can become a nice spiritual lecture series. That we come in and we have our intellect tickled a bit. And we have some good thoughts to chew on instead of the maturing church that's supposed to be built up in mission. That, that's who we're supposed to be. 
Because to Jesus, maturity was always expressed through outward action, to loving those far from God. So when we look at Ephesians 4 again, guys, we have to keep that in mind. Ephesians 4, what it's describing as a church, is built upon this foundation of of loving those who are far from God. That as we mature, and, and so much of this is about building a body, of maturing, that we cannot divorce that from a life of obeying God and making him known. And we need to know what God is calling us to in in places like Ephesians 4. That he's calling us to embrace our individual personal roles as all part of this bigger team. And our church is called the village. But it could be called many things. But all of us are supposed to be a part of that in some way. And in that way, we need to know what it means to win. It's like that famous ex-NFL coach Herm Edwards. He was known to say what? You play to win the game. You know, if you're going to play, you need to know why you're playing. It's to win the game. For us, we're not trying to win a game. But for us, our goal is how are we going to grow into maturity, building up the body so that we might exalt Christ and make him known. And throughout this passage here, we see it. I'm not going to read it again, but we see this continual idea of building up the body, Um, the body growing. There's that like continual theme over and over here of maturity, building, body growing. And, and what body growing here means, it's not just, and I think this is part of it, but it's not fully, but it's not just that the individual ones of us who are here who make us body, we just keep growing. It's like the group here, we just become more spiritually mature and we become like bodybuilders and every single one's, oh, I'm growing maturity and we just stay. Growing also means there are more who become part of this thing called the church. Growing is not just talking about each one of us and our lives. It's also talking about our community, but it's also talking about who are not yet part of our community that are supposed to be. Because that's how the body grows. When more and more people become part of this body of Christ. And this is why I love, and I didn't want to embarrass him, so I asked him before, but our brother Monty, some of you who know him, man, he, he became a Christian here just a few short years ago. He became a Christian here from absolutely like no background of knowing Jesus. But here's the thing that I love. A few weeks ago when we didn't have church at the building and we announced it, he's like, oh man, I was bringing some friends of mine. My goal is to bring every friend of mine to church. I'm like, man, that's maturity. Monty ain't got no Bible college degree. He got no seminary training, but he knows what it means to grow in maturity. It's that we take the things we're growing in so we have something to share with others. That's maturity. That's growth. That's building up the body. All to say, each one of you here, and some of you, you're here for the first time. You're like, what the heck did I walk into here? You can kind of just listen, right? But if you kind of say this is your church, each one of us here, our full investment into God's church as expressed in the body, is crucial to the mission God has given us. Every single one of us is critical as we hear. Maybe another way to say it, the village will not be all that we were meant to be without you. And, and now don't go like sending me hate emails saying, no, it's all about Christ. It's not about, I know that. It's all about Jesus, right? But God has used his church. And he's said the church, the body, will be built up by one another. We are critical to the mission of God moving forward as we embrace this. Because as a church, that's what our mission is. Our mission as church, transforming lives and transforming communities. And, and you know, sometimes churches spend so much time on, like, vision, mission statements. Uh, this is not that clever. I mean, it's just, I, we think it's just from the Bible. We're not 
saying anything creatively inspiring here. It's just living out the call that scripture has given us to be Christ church. Because our mission is that you would come here or someone would reach out to you and your life, as it gets transformed, you go back and you help others who maybe don't know Christ, who are, who are learning or growing, who are new maybe. You help them to grow. You represent all different communities here. We transform in our own lives, but then we carry that to wherever you might be. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe for some of you, it's your school represent, you represent. Maybe for some of us, it's a meth cling. Whatever it might be, you go to your communities and you see God working your life to send you back there. And I'm not good in math. I mean, when our kids got math homework, my wife is the one who, I mean, she pretty much does all the homework because she's smarter than me in almost everything. I know more pro wrestling. That's about it. It's simple math, though. For us, the more people who are transformed, the more people hear about Jesus. I'm not that smart, but it's kind of simple math. The more people who are transformed leads to the more people who will be impacted for Christ. And as I think back, maybe I'm getting nostalgic because I'm getting old, or maybe it's just also just because we're coming up on 10 years as a church. So I, I, I've been thinking more and more about like some of the history of our church. And man, over like a, less than 10 years ago, we started this whole idea of what a village church would be. It was 11 of us being sent out by another team. 11 of us, including my wife and I. Not, not many. But we had this hope God would do something. And it's just been that constant, like, one more person being transformed by another person. That's God slowly grown. It's never been overnight. But God slowly impacting more and more people. And I think about different stories. And if you came here, like, on your own through things like the Internet or you found, like, a Facebook post, that's tremendous. I'm so glad you found this church. But, but I also love those stories of people who came here because someone told them about it or because someone invested themselves into their life. And, and I didn't ask their permission, so they're going to get mad as I talk about them. It's okay, because we, we need areas for repentance and forgiveness. But I think about Eric and Ashley LaPointe and their family. I mean, they're the first persons to say they're not perfect. But man, how many of our lives here have been impacted by them? If I asked how many of you had had your life, your spiritual journey, impacted by LaPointe, your hands would be like this. Because they serve and they give. How many people have been in their home? Recipients of hospitality. They just give themselves and they've been a huge part of God building his church. And, and Eric, he, he just loves this story of, uh, and it's probably better if he would tell it, but I'm going to tell it because I got the mic. He loves this story of how they first came to be connected with the church, which was um, there was a birthday party. In their neighborhood. And it was during one of the worst snowstorms in Baltimore, right? Crazy. One of those ones where they tell you, you are not to leave your house unless you are a medical professional. That kind. We're like, okay, there's a birthday party. Let's go. We got an SUV. That's what four-wheel drive for, right? So we drove to this thing. Crazy. It it got so bad, we drove into the neighborhood. I had to back out the whole neighborhood because they had not plowed more than one car length. And, and, and the LaPointe's were at that party. And they, they told, they've told me many times, you know what? That said something to us that you would come to this thing. That, wow, there's got to be something there. And that's all great. But my goal here, actually, I don't really get impressed by that part. More and more that I think about it, you know what impresses me? That Adam and Melissa Grace had a party. 
I'm just being totally straight here. Adam and Melissa Grace had a party for their little one. And they thought about their neighborhood. And, and I'm sure if you ask them, they're not thinking, oh, yeah, we're intentionally on mission here. They're just living their life. They're loving their neighbors. They're thinking, how can we be kind? How can we share what we have? And they've always made that a value. And they said, we've got these friends called the LaPointes. We're going to have them at our party too. And that was what God used to touch their hearts. So, and if I think about many of your lives, there's a like chain of relationships that God uses when we put ourselves out there to build up the body, to extend ourselves, to love one another. God is always using those things to build his body. I'm sure many of you have been the recipient of that. Because how God builds his church is when we grow in maturity. What does maturity look like? It learns like learning doctrine and theology, all that. I'm a big fan of that. But it also means that we start embracing that we're part of God's church and we're connected to one another. And God has given us the responsibility to build his church, to build it up, to grow his church. So simple question, how do we mature at the village? And I'm I'm not so simplistic to say, here's the three-point plan that you can grow in maturity at the village. Do this over six months and you will all make, boop, pop out a mature. I'm not simplistic like that. It's a long journey. Some of us take a really different routes to get there. But here are some things that we think are helpful in that at our church. How will each of us grow into being who we are meant to be in Christ church? I think one, it's, it's recognizing that has to be in community. It's in community. And we're just, again, we're going to be really straight here. Not that I try to be fake, but sometimes you have to say it that way, right? One common thing I hear from our people in our church who visit is, man, it, it feels hard to get connected, Wow, I, I came. Um, people were not that friendly. Uh, no one really welcomed me here. And, and just to let you know, part of that is we have such a high turnover rate that you think you're the only new person when like 50% of the people are. So like everyone's kind of in the same place. Just to, for you to know, no one's like trying to exclude you because you're like, you're not cool enough. That's not their goal. But it's real. I've heard multiple people saying, man, it's really hard for me to feel accepted here. And maybe some of you who are feeling that. And you're like, man, did you hack into my email or my Facebook? No, that's just common, I think. Um, I'll say this. If your expectation is that closeness and community to happen by coming on a Sunday worship, you're probably going to leave disappointed. I, I think it's just... Uh, unrealistic to expect that. Um, I've had some people, <laughs> and they've told me this, either face-to-face or through other means, man, this is not a church, because at a church, your pastor meets with you regularly and takes care of you and disciples you, and they're, like, helping you. And, man, you don't do that. Um, we're very clear. That's not our expectation of how ministry works here That's the reason that we build up the body because we expect that you're doing that with one another. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. It doesn't mean that I or Pastor Larry or other elders, we don't try to do that. We do to our ability, but there's no way. I mean, uh, we don't believe in cloning yet for humans, but even if it happened, biblically, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to clone me or Pastor Larry 10 times over. Okay, more effective ministry. And then I look on Facebook, there's like 10 different Pastor Larrys checking in all over the city. I'm like, that's just strange. (laughs) It's just strange because it's not biblical. What's much more effective biblically is not 20 Pastor Larry's. It's 200 village people. 
Why? No, no. It's 200 village people being the church to one another. It's 200 village people being that leadership to one another. It's 200 village people who are caring for one another. It's 200 village people are knowing things about your life that the pastor might never know unless you told him. But we've got to take steps. And for us, uh, community groups is probably one of the key ways we encourage that. Again, I'm not saying, don't hear me wrong here. You go to community group, give it six months, and you'll automatically be like a thriving, deep... I'm never going to promise that happens, but it's a step. It's a step to make a few relationships more. One of the ways I think about it, a way to gauge it, there should be some people in this church community who will recognize if they don't see you for a few weeks on Sunday. There should be at least a couple of people at the village who if you're missing, they're they're going to call you or text you and say, hey, just wanted to check in that you're okay because I haven't seen you. And you say, oh, no, I'm good. I'm on vacation. I'm like on a cruise boat. I'm great. Oh, praise God. Or, you know, wow, I was really struggling. I was really even asking, does anyone give a rip if I'm there or not? Wow. Guys, there's no human way that I will be able to know that. I mean, honestly, at a certain point being up here, y'all start to kind of morph into one person. <laughs> it's, it's weird how that works. It's, it's hard. We need to do that with one another in community if we're going to build up this body. So in community, how else do we mature? By serving. By serving. And, and at this point, some of your radar goes up. Some of your like church like BS meter goes up. You're like, oh, okay. This is all a big scheme to kind of like get the serving drive going here. Oh, our volunteer list is low. Okay, let's get in a really heavy message about like, maybe you can take it like that. Or... Um, we just believe at our church, one of the best ways we, we, we mature is by serving outside of ourselves, by giving ourselves in some way. Um, realistically, serving in our church, whether it's helping with things like media, serving with children, uh, helping with music, decorating, whatever it might be, realistically, you get things done. We're not dumb. We're not trying to waste people's time. We're getting things done, but it's much more that it truly is building up the body. It truly is building and maturing the body. And I think our children's ministry is a great example of that. So you go to any church, if you ask them what's the hardest area to fill volunteers, it's usually either the communications media team, sorry guys, or children's ministry. Children's ministry, it's just really hard to get volunteers. Because if you don't have children, you're like, why would I impose that upon myself when I have a choice? If you do have children, you're like, this is my hour and a half away from them. But if you can view it and through the lens of building up the body, we kind of have to think of children's ministry as more than just glorified babysitting. Um, because the way I view children's ministry is if you are in there and you're serving some kids, obviously you're teaching them and stuff, but you know what you're also doing? You're building up the body because you might be freeing their mom and dad to be released on mission in their place. Because some of our most effective welcomers in our church are some of our parents. But you know what realistically happens when your kids are like three, four, five years old? you like, I don't want to lose them in this place. Like, that's your big goal in life. I'd like to leave this place with my kid. So your eyes are on them. You're, you're hoping that they're not like destroying something in this building. You just can't fully be involved. It's just a reality. 
especially when we're doing things like all church worship. I mean, I would love to think some of you parents who've got your kids in here, you're like digesting this word. You're just like, I'd still like to be Christian by the end of this. That's like your big goal. You don't even hear because you're so focused on taking care of your kids. But guys, imagine this. If you are volunteering, you're serving, you're saying, I will commit to teaching some children here once a month, not even more than once a month. Imagine the impact you can have on freeing up some of their parents to be welcoming here, to be loved here, to love others here. Because you'll build up the body. You'll build up the body. And we're going to have a serving fair. And maybe you think this is kind of manipulative. We're just thinking we, we want to encourage you to grow in maturity. After worship, we're going to have a serving fair throughout this room with different opportunities to get involved. I'm, I'm going to just throw it out there very honestly. If you, if you are here for the first time, just kind of take this as a rant and say, okay, okay, he'll be done soon. If you are coming and you are burnt out, maybe from another ministry setting, and you are just weary, exhausted, you're coming from having served like every week for like years, rest. Honestly, come here, rest. Just sit, soak, receive, be blessed. Let us help to minister to you. If you're not those, if you've been here for a while, if you would even say maybe this is your church, and if you're not serving, I'm just going to say, yo, you're holding back from a place where you could mature and help the church to mature. I'm going to say this. If you're here and serving, and if you're here and you come regularly and you're, you're pretty involved in things like the world, but you don't ever give yourself, just like any relationship, you have to start to ask, is that a healthy relationship there? Because it's got to be a, like a family, right? It's got to go both ways. So I'm going to challenge you after worship today, if you're not currently serving in some way, stay. Talk to some of the different leaders. Find out how you can be involved in serving because it builds the body. But in doing that, it also builds you. Um, and, and I guess just to pull the curtain back a little bit, I don't know how you feel about our church, but when you look at it from, if maybe if you are first, first time here, maybe part of you thinks, oh man, this place is like chaotic. They have no clue what they're doing. Or maybe some of you are like, wow, they've got everything in in a row. They're pretty set up. They've got all their systems and structures. I don't want you to feel that you cannot be used or needed. Because in reality, we are starting to get closer to a ratio that they say is a little unhealthy for churches where a few people are doing like the majority of things. That's not healthy for a church, but it's not biblical. More health is when all of us are involved in different ways. So we don't welcome you to that as a way to mature. One final thing, how do we mature? Through partnership. And just really quickly, uh, we've got next week, Intro to the Village. Uh, We talk about those things. When we talk about partnership at our church, we're talking about a deeper commitment to being involved. I fully understand that most of us, we are, we, we just, something within us likes not having to be committed to something. We kind of like actually to have a church where you can just kind of come in and never have to do a single thing, hear a sermon, grab a donut, and kind of just do that. But guys, um, as we talked about consumer kind of cultures, we view partnership as, as a really active rejection of the cultural narrative to view the church as a spectator sport. Because being a partner is saying, the church is not just something I consume, but the church is something I'm part of. So just really simply, we want to invite you to consider being a partner. Calling this your church 
If you haven't come to Intro to the Village next week, just a really quick one-hour session where we talk about the church, take that step. Take that step. Kind of bring it home here. Um, This quote from Wendell Berry just like wrecked me. But he said, it is strange the way your mind withdraws from a place it knows you're going to leave. Take that in, right? He says, it is strange the way your mind withdraws from a place it knows you're going to leave. And why I think that just impressed upon me, I think kind of knowing the culture of our church, I think many of us here, the reality is you don't know how long you're going to be in the city. And you're kind of, because of that, you're kind of hesitant to make too many routes, too many connections. You're like, oh man, I'm here maybe most for four years for school, or I'm in a program for like one year, or man, I got a job, but I'm looking to get out. And, and I think for some of us, um, because we view our time, whether in Baltimore or even in this church, as like a temporary pit stop, it's prevented us from becoming committed. But I guess what I want to just encourage you in a pastoral way is that, guys, that's not healthy for you. It's, it's not healthy for you, but it's also not healthy for the church. Because the passage in Ephesians, it says that we, we, we need one another to build one another up in maturity. Our very health, our very maturity, personally, but also collectively, it's dependent upon you committing yourself to God, but also to one another here. So we're going to respond by go singing some songs, and we're going to respond by, if you're a Christian, to come to the table and receive the Lord's Supper, communion, where we take a piece of the bread and remember Jesus' body broken for us. And you can come up both aisles, and you dip into the cup, take it right there at the table, and you remember the blood that was shed for, by Jesus to forgive our sins. But guys, I, I want to really welcome you. Don't come up here too quickly. Um, Because this communion table, it's not just like a beautiful sacramental blessing. Some of us, that's our mentality towards communion. It's a way for me to get blessed. It's a way for me to receive a blessing. And I think indeed it is. But when you come to the table, when you come and receive from the table and and you take and partake in the body and the blood of Christ, you're declaring weekly, regularly, you're belonging to the body of Christ. When you come and take the communion, you're saying, I'm part of this thing called the church. This is not meant to be an isolated thing that you just do on your own. You're doing this as part of the church. This is not meant to be a light thing. I mean, it requires being connected to the head, as we saw in the passage, that's Christ. But have you thought about Jesus? This just wrecked me. This is one of the things that like, wrecked me for a while. But Jesus, if we talk about us being temporary, maybe some of you wrestle with that. Let's just be honest. You wrestle with that. Man, I, you know, this church is not bad. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, though. Think about Christ. If we know who he is, that he's fully God and fully man. That though some things he might not have had full knowledge in different ways according to his own desire. But I would, I would believe that he knew what's happening. He knew what's going on. He knew that his time here on earth for his mission was temporary. He didn't come here with the intent that, yeah, I'm going to plant myself here and in bodily form as Christ, we're just going to change this world. He knew that his time was limited. It was, in a sense, very temporary. But he rooted himself and he gave himself. In those few years that he had, he gave everything he had ultimately to this thing we call a cross. 
and gave his full life, gave his full body, shed his full blood, loved fully as much as you can love, not just those people who said, we love you, Jesus, but to the very people who said, I hate you, Jesus. He gave himself fully. And he invites us to do the same. No matter how temporary we might be. Your temporary might be three months. Your temporary might be one year. Hopefully some of you are thinking your whole life. Whatever it might be, can I invite you? Before you come to this table, can I ask you to make this commitment? Stand with me together. And I'm not going to force anyone to make any kind of commitments. That's up to you and God. But if you feel God is impressing upon your heart this desire to build a body, to be part, no matter how long that might be for you. Can I ask you to consider this commitment before God today? Lord, however long you would have me in this city and this church, make my heart all there. Lord, however long you would have me in this city and this church, make my heart all there. All there. So bow your head with me. And we're not going to do like a repeated saying or anything. This is just for you. But can I ask you to wrestle with that? Lord, however long you would have me in this city and this church, make my heart all there. If, you, if that's your commitment to God, let me encourage you to take some of the steps we talked about today. Own it. Make this yours. Make it yours. Lord, these are not light things that we consider here. We're talking about building your church. We're talking about the great cost that you paid so that we could be part of this church. So, Lord, we ask that if we are a Christian, Lord, may we not view this whole thing as a spectator sport where we applaud from afar the things going on. But, Lord, you've said that the health of the church is contingent upon every single one of us being part of that, exercising our great diversity here. So help us, Lord, wherever we're at in that journey, for some of us, maybe it means even exploring whether we want to be part of that body. And you're inviting us today as we believe in this Jesus. And think about how radical and wonderful he was in his short temporary years that he did great work that we couldn't do so that we could be part of your body. So I pray for my friends here, Lord, that we will be more than a few people watching other people do stuff, but you would invite us into the great journey of maturity and growth at building your body. So we love you, Lord. We love you. So again, I'm going to ask you, come receive communion if you're a Christian, but don't do it so lightly. Consider some of the things we talked about. Ask yourself about some of those commitments. What's a step for you? And pray through that. And then if you feel convicted, come forward and receive the communion as a follower of Christ.